You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Everybody, welcome back. Today we have another episode where we're going to check on sort of habitat conditions, status of the migration in in a couple of states that I don't think we've featured much at all on on prior episodes. We're going to be going into the Central Flyway, and it's real timely given the weather system that's that's moving down through the Mid Continent right now. Uh, we're going to be talking with representatives from the states of Nebraska and and Kansas and. Those two people joining us here, also first-time guests, are Mark Vertiska from the state of Nebraska and Tom Bedrowski from Kansas. And guys, welcome. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Now, Tom, did I get the pronunciation of your last name correct? Correct, yeah. Bedrowski. All right. Good deal. And and Mark, I know I got your the pronunciation of yours correct. You and I go back. Gosh, I even kind of hate to start counting the years. Yeah, don't, don't date us, Mike. <laughs> But, but back at Mississippi State, you and I overlapped for a little bit there, and, and so that's how you and I know one another. But uh, yeah, to get to get started with here, I want to give each of you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience, especially kind of given this is the first time you've been on. Appreciate you being here. Mark, I'll just start with you there, the northern of the two states in Nebraska. So uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, currently I'm a professor of practice here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the School of Natural Resources. Um I was, I've been in this position about three years now, and just prior to that, I was a waterfowl program manager with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commissioner Commission. And um, so I had the same job that Tom has now. And prior to that, I was working with Ducks Unlimited down in Ridgeland, Mississippi. So um, I've been around for a while. And uh, another sort of little-known fact that I'll share with our listeners is that uh, you and Dr. Scott Stevens also go way back. Scott comes on the ep- on the the podcast all the time. We actually had a recent episode with him, and he tells me that that he taught you everything you know about duck hunting. Is there any truth to that? There's there's a bunch of it that is actually true. <laughs> Scott had to put up with me for a little bit there. Um, uh, I'll give some credit to some guys in California, but Scott um, actually was very patient with me, and and uh, he definitely um, kind of got me going in terms of the how how uh, he's very passionate about waterfowl hunting, and and he kind of gets you involved in that same passion, and so 
Um, I, I, I do owe him on that one. Yeah. Well, I was hoping you would kind of take a dig at him there. We'd like to do that with Scott on occasion and maybe, maybe that'll come later on in the episode, but now, uh, yeah, if if there's any chance we can get into him running out of gas, um, (laughs) and, and stranding us and almost making us late for class somehow, um, if we can work that in somehow, then I would, we can do that. We'll, we'll, we'll try to do it. Uh, the other thing that I, I need to kind of correct, I don't think I gave you proper recognition. Your Dr. Mark Vertiska, that was, you were at Mississippi state, uh, getting your, your PhD and, and that's where you overlapped with Scott. That's where, uh, I overlapped with the two of you. And so I just, my apologies for failing to do that at the outset. I always like to do that, but I, you and I've known one another, one another so long. I just, it's just, it's Mark to me, but, but anyway, proper recognition there yeah thank you mike no problem man and then tom for you introduce yourself to our audience sure i'm tom madrowski i'm the migratory game bird program manager for kansas wildlife and parks i've been here about uh 12 years now and served in a similar role in virginia for about 11 years as well so been both in the atlantic and in central flyway uh, for majority of my career we appreciate both of you being here on this. We thought it would be useful to have this as sort of a companion episode. We've, uh, And I guess one of the things that, that triggered the initial email to you guys was the recognition of the, the intense drought that was gripping the Great Plains, the Southern Great Plains. And we've talked a lot in previous episodes about drought in the Western U.S., drought on the prairies last year. But the, the kind of Great Plains, Southern Great Plains drought is just as severe, if not more severe at this point in time than some of those other regions that we've talked about. And, and drought in your two states and others around you is very, very important with very important implications for waterfowl, waterfowl habitats, and of course, waterfowl hunters. And so it was, it was that's what we set out to do is to get an update on, on the drought and how it's affecting habitat conditions. And it just so happens that it, it was, it took us three or four weeks to kind of align our schedules. And we're recording this here on November 10th and a pretty massive winter storm is, is on your doorsteps there and we'll be changing the, uh, the, the temperatures there across the mid continent for, I think, Better, better part of seven or ten days here in the in the coming uh, coming time period, and so it's also you know uh, timely from that standpoint. So uh, we will get to that uh, in terms of what you're seeing, what you're feeling, and what you're expecting here over the next uh, next seven to ten days with regard to those temperatures and its effect on your birds and habitats. But to start with, I wanted to inter- have y'all introduce our audience to the important habitats, wetlands, and wetland regions of your respective states. And again, we'll just kind of go north to south here. So, Mark, when when you t- tell people about the important wetlands of Nebraska, uh, where they are, what kind they are, how do you how do you normally give that spiel? Nebraska is kind of well, it is very unique from one standpoint, Mike, from a lot of other states, if not all the rest of the states, and some some fashion is that we have kind of a mix of both early season and late season habitats. And the two early season habitats, the primary ones are the Nebraska Sandhills, which are, you know, 19,000 hectares kind of in the north central part of the state that have a lot of marshes and wetlands and lakes. And then to the south of that, um, and kind of around actually in different places um, from the Sandhills or Playa wetlands, um, the biggest complex 
is the Rainwater Basin area, which runs about from Seward, Nebraska, which is just west of Lincoln, all the way out to um, probably Holdridge, Nebraska, which is um, about two hours to the west of that. And again, a lot of um, Playa Wetlands, but there's some other locations of Playa Wetlands um, to the west of that, to the north of that. And those are kind of the early season habitats. And what's kind of what, when I was referring to being unique, um, both those areas are, are kind of split right down the middle by the Platte River. And the Platte River being a late season kind of habitat. And there's also um, a lot of other rivers coming through kind of the, from the sandhills and which actually kind of stay open because they're, they're, they're fed by the aquifer from the uh, uh, Ogallala aquifer underneath the sandhills that stay open or can stay open in terms of open water a lot longer, um, bisecting through kind of the sand hills and then down into kind of eastern Nebraska. Um, and so there's a, there, we have this combination of early season habitats, which are um, small wetlands, you know, bigger lakes in the sand hills, some of them, but mostly fairly small. And then we have a lot of river systems that are kind of bisecting, and the Platte River itself bisects the whole state of Nebraska. Um, and then we have a few reservoirs and so forth that that will hold um, a pretty good pretty good chunk of birds um, during the wintering period. So we have a, a fairly decent variety of habitats, and and again it, they're kind of from one end of the state to the other. So it's kind of a Nebraska is I, I think one of those unique states in terms of where all the proximity of where these birds can end up through the wintering period, or even through fall migration and then into the winter. Now, Mark, do those kind of different habitats and their their importance during early versus late, that do you see differences in waterfowl foraging habits or, or preferences that kind of go along with that? And I guess what I'm what I would expect is for you to say that maybe earlier in the season those shallower wetlands are where birds are foraging, you're getting some food there. And then maybe later in the season the 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 bodies of water that stay open longer don't have a whole lot of food so maybe then there's they shift more to field feeding is there that kind of dichotomy or do you just is there a mixing of foraging strategies throughout winter well that's that's the other thing that kind of makes um <laughs> sitting in the waterfowl program manager chair at nebraska and parks that it's one of those things that makes it really difficult because it's not necessarily mike as much of the foraging strategies as kind of the ducks that are using those habitats. We tend to get, you know, in the sand hills and the rainwater basin and the Playa wetlands, you know, you're getting those early season migrants, the, the teal widgeon, gadwall, pintail, shoveler, um, a lot of the dabbling, early dabbling ducks. And then we tend to get, start getting mallards in late October, early November. And what you kind of see is a switch from those teal widge and gadwall kind of complex, if you will, or those type of birds, and then we just kind of end up getting mallards at some point. It's almost like a bimodal kind of thing with the duck species. Because of that, I think you just normally get a difference in foraging strategies because you're, you're just working with kind of, quote, two different groups of birds. And so, yeah, and, and not to get ahead of ourselves here, but you know, probably by the end of a week from the day, we probably will have very few teal, wedge, and gadwall left in the state. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, uh, I think what I'll just go ahead and do is ask you to describe the current status of the drought in your state. I looked at the drought monitor earlier today, and 
there's, I don't think there's a single part of either one of your state states. If it is, it's a really small part that's not in some type of drought. And there are big chunks of your states that are in either extreme or exceptional drought. And so, Mark, I wanted to get you to kind of, to the extent that you understand it right now, how has that drought affected those different types of uh, wetlands that you have in your state? I've heard some reports of the plat being dry in certain reaches, but then you talked about how it's fed by an aquifer. So, I'm trying to square those in, in those two things in my mind and I'm kind of wondering how that's all playing out. But uh, what's the drought situation look like there? Well, if you, yeah, if anybody would look at the drought monitor, you'll see that our state's covered in at least yellow and going all the way to that dark red. Um, And I I looked at the percentages here um, not long ago, and it was like 15% was in extreme drought. And so, yeah, and there isn't a part of the state, and maybe extreme southeast that's not in a drought, but it's bad. And um, in fact, I thought 2012 was one of the worst droughts that we had been through, but this this is exceeding that. And when I've, I've been up to the sand hills here in early October and all the, you know, all the lakes are showing some shore. Um, there's a little space between the cattails and bulrush and the, and the water, which, you know, in, in the 20 some years I've been here, I don't know. I don't recall seeing that before, and which doesn't necessarily make it tremendously bad for the sand hills, except it does kind of you know create a little problem in terms of access maybe, and, and actually in some ways it may be benefiting the sand hills a little bit just from the standpoint you're getting some of that exposure and out of those kind of um, cattails and bulrush, but um, that does kind of shrink down the size of those wetlands and the depth, which Again, with the cold coming on, they'll just freeze up that much faster. Probably the biggest impact, Mike, that I'm seeing um, is, again, in these plow wetland systems and and in particularly the rainwater basin area, which for the state of Nebraska, what's going to drive a big chunk of the duck harvest, the total duck harvest, is the rainwater basin area. And, and that's because of the number of wetlands and a lot of the public areas that are associated in that area that, that people use and um, again, um, I thought 2012 was bad, but this seems worse. And the only areas that have any water are those that have been pumped either by the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission or private you know, individuals or the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, other than that, it's, it's, it is bone, bone dry. And um, when that happens, you know, our duck harvest in Nebraska is going to go down. Um, it is such an important area for birds to stop and and for people to you know participate in the migration. Like you know today or tomorrow, um, there's just going to be so few areas that people can get to. And then, as you probably well know and have talked on this podcast before, once you you know kind of concentrate birds on those small areas and people know where they're at, they tend to get shot up pretty quick. And and uh, just the hunting pressure is pretty intense on those areas. And finally, yes, you are correct. Um, for the, I think it's the third time now that, and since I've been here or moved back to Nebraska, I'm, I'm originally from Nebraska, actually, for the third time that I've seen since I moved back in 1999, uh, the Platte River basically went dry from Grand Island to Columbus. And it goes dry in that stretch because it's kind of the end of the two Platte River, the North and South Platte Rivers kind of running. Um, and then when you hit Columbus, what you actually end up getting is those 
kind of the confluence of all those rivers in the Sand Hills coming in through the Loop River right at Columbus. And then you get a influx, a big influx of water coming from basically Columbus, Nebraska, down to the mouth of the Missouri River. Um, but then that stretch from, you know, Kearney, Grand Island, um, along there, it, it did go dry this summer. And it's still, water levels are pretty slim. You know, the Platte's not deep to begin with, <laughs> but it's it's little rivulets now of, of stream. And, and probably not going to provide a whole lot of refuge for ducks once those other larger wetlands freeze up, right? No, it will not. You know, with the cold temperatures and stuff, it'll freeze solid. And you got to maintain some sort of flow in there, obviously, to kind of keep some open water. But boy, in the past, when we've had that, it just does not make for a good good season in those th- that stretch of Nebraska. And again, if you're talking the other part or the other place where your duck hunting's um, the big pusher or the, the primary driver of harvest, you know, the North Platte River, I think, is doing okay in terms of water levels. That's probably the second or maybe even vies with the rainwater basin for number one in terms of duck harvest in Nebraska. But um, that central plat's pretty important too. And boy, it's just, it's, it's going to be a tough go. Well, you know, I guess at least one thing is occurring to me. I, I probably have to apologize to you guys for bringing you on to, to deliver such gloomy information to, <laughs> to the audience. I'm like, damn, this probably sucks to be a guest and having to tell about all this all this bad news and certainly not what your hunters want to hear. And so, so we'll, we'll have to make up for this sometime by bringing you back on when you've got much more exciting news to share. And uh, so, so, uh, so yeah, Tom. This is, you know, you're you're a state south of uh, of Nebraska, and you know, you, you kind of think, well, maybe if the state north of me is not doing all that great, then that means there's going to be an opportunity for more, more birds to come into our state. And while that's true, y'all don't have a whole lot to offer of, in terms of quality habitat right now. I don't think either. I'll get you to talk specifically about that, but uh, let's kind of pick up, uh, take the same type of approach we did with Mark, where when you think about the important wetlands in your state. Uh, what are they? Uh, I know that Kansas has some very, very like worldwide uh, wetlands of worldwide importance. And so kind of step through some of those specific wetlands, but then also just kind of talk generally about the different type of wetlands you have in your state. So we have a lot of similarities with Nebraska as, as far as, well, both of us have a pretty good moisture gradient going east to west. And like say at our Missouri border, and we're getting 45 inches plus rain a year. We're at the Colorado border here looking, you know, 10 or 11 inches rain. So we have a pretty good moisture gradient to start with. As um, far as habitats, our duck zones are kind of broken up by our habitat types. We have going from west to east on the high plains, that area kind of uh, west of the 100th parallel is mostly small playas and kind of an agricultural mix um, with the, the Arkansas River flowing through it and a few larger reservoirs out there. We have our early zone that holds uh, house places like Cheyenne Bottoms, some of the playas east of the 100 Meridian and Jamestown Wildlife Area. And those are some of our pretty more renowned wetlands, particularly Cheyenne Bottoms. It's hard to talk about Kansas without talking about Cheyenne Bottoms. Then we have what we call our late zone, and that kind of covers northeast and um, south central uh, Kansas. That habitat's mostly stock ponds, large reservoirs. And then we have Southeast Kansas, and that's probably where we probably see our most kind of highly managed um, wetland areas, particularly on public lands. And um, a lot of them along the Neosho Basin, Meridazine Basin, and, and some of the lower Arkansas River. And again, kind of they're kind of named after what kind of species you find there. You know, 
the early zone is known for teal season as well as then this hunting season going through October. And usually we see our big push in the state around this Veterans Day um, holiday, you know, either week before or after, where we see that transition of going from some of, some of the remaining blue-winged teals to um, shift to gabble widget and then on to now we're pretty much mallards are going to be our dominant bag in the hunter harvest after Veterans Day and on to Thanksgiving. Um, we're getting to be a little bit of a wintering area, particularly along some of our reservoirs in southeast Kansas, where we're holding not only a lot of geese, but also a fair number of mallards now in a few years. And actually be working with Mark on a project looking at the winter ecology in upcoming years, um, which I'm excited for. So, Tom, let's just kind of do the same thing now that we've got the introduction of the important wetlands in your state kind of out of the way. We may come back to some of those uh, here a little bit later on, but I do the same thing that kind of Mark offered. What are you seeing in terms of drought and its effects on on those wetlands? And, you know, feel free to kind of share some, any kind of information about the notable impacts on public areas that, that would be of, I guess, of particular importance. I had looked at our climate data before this, and this is our 20th driest year in the 128 years that we have climate data for Kansas. Um, it's pretty comparable to the 2012 drought, which um, set a lot of lot of records in itself outside of the Dust Bowl days. Um, probably more impactful on western Kansas, particularly most of the plows are dry. There's a few spotty rains that helped out a little bit there, but most of them are kind of vanishing. Uh, Cheyenne Bottoms is dry. This is the first time it's been dry since 2012. And so that displaces not only a lot of ducks, but a lot of duck hunters. They usually have about 1,500 unique duck hunters that make about five to 7,000 trips a year. So that's um, really impacting our water falling um, year this year with that being dry. It's a very important, said, particularly during teal season where it kind of starts off our season. And that sets the stage for a lot of our areas. You know, McPherson wetlands kind of has a, a similar effect where what happens during teal season drives duck season. If we would have had this discussion a few weeks ago, I probably would have been a, a little bit more gloomy than they currently um, you know. They said this, the early season really sets a stage for, for a lot of our early zone areas. Um, our late zone opened up around Halloween and our southeast zone just opened up. So we're about mid-season for some of our areas and just starting off. But we've had a really good push of birds with this last front and nice bright moon um, that, and a little bit of spotty rains across the state that's provided some some better hunting opportunities than I would have forecasted. Now, we're supposed to get some freezing temperatures, so how that carries through. So I, I don't know what that will mean between now and Thanksgiving, what, um, but, um, what kind of pattern we'll follow into. So we have limited habitat, but hopefully we can... Uh, keep some ducks around and hopefully they don't get stale too quickly um, due to some of the hunting pressure and, and concentrations. Uh, one thing we were probably a little bit worried about is some of our, uh, not only the impacts we've seen on some of our dry wetlands, but the reduction in water levels in some of our reservoirs that's kind of left kind of that bathtub ring of, of bare habitat around those areas, um, but also the impact on agriculture. A lot of our crops this year have been harvested early for silage, so that will kind of affect what's available for waste grain. And so that may be particularly, you know, we're starting to wintering a lot more light geese and white-fronted geese, what kind of impacts that will have on as well. Now, Tom, I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with with uh, your public areas or even any of the even privately managed wetlands in your state. Most of the areas that I'm familiar with and have grown up in or lived have some type of ability to pump from an aquifer or there's a lot of striver, uh, streams and rivers that that 
intersect the state. And so we have a lot of, I guess, uh, water management infrastructure. How much of that do you have in the state of, of Kansas? And, you know, you mentioned that Cheyenne Bottoms is dry. So I'm guessing you don't have a lot of opportunity to pump there. But talk to me a little bit about the the prevalence of of pumping opportunities on any of the managed wetlands. Cheyenne Bantams is, you know, the, the basin itself is about 41,000 acres and about 20,000 of that is owned by the state. And maybe about 13,000 is, is kind of in, in wetlands or most most years. Um, it's all water sources. There's no groundwater pumping on it. So it's it's flow from the, the watershed itself as well as it can pull uh, through a diversion system through the Arkansas River as well as a few streams from there. So they also have some large interior reservoir pools um, that you know normally during they can hold water during the summer and then reset out. With this has kind of been a really prolonged drought for us. You now we've haven't had any rain since June, July, and so that's hasn't allowed them to kind of recharge some of theirs areas. Is anywhere you're talking about in western US, water rights are big issues here. And so, you know, just like any other water user, we have to apply for those water rights. And some of them are senior water rights, some of our junior water rights. Some of our more eastern reservoir um, kind of wetlands are able to do some better pumping abilities just because, well, they're smaller in size. You know, if you think about trying to fill, you know, the largest cell at Cheyenne Bottoms is just under 3,000 acres. The smallest one is just over 400 acres. So that's a large area to fill with, with ground pumps. And, you know, you're kind of adding to the problem of that groundwater depletion for in doing that. Uh, to say it again, our eastern res- uh, wetlands have a little bit more in smaller scale and greater pumping com- capacity. So they're able to handle the drought a little bit better or provide some water fall hunting opportunities. Um, so, so. so, Tom, kind of given the location of your state and the tendency of it to maybe go through severe drought periodically, and maybe maybe it's, it's not as precipitation rich as the other states in the southeastern U.S., uh, or I should say states in the southeastern U.S., um, do your hunters, do you find that your hunters, I, I guess, some type of expectation that maybe this happens occasionally and perhaps they're more they've become more adapted to the to the kind of vagaries of their hunting opportunities as driven by that those kind of weather systems or those weather patterns is that is that kind of a mindset of hunters that have have kind of grown up there have hunted there for a long period of time just knowing that occasionally these types of things happen so there is no Duck hunters are, are highly mobile. They go where the ducks go. They're just as flexible on, on and, and taking advantage of where resources are are, are hot. Uh, there's you no know, some locals do are familiar with the systems. They know how it works and you know they've seen it before. But uh, it's a hard one to relate to waterfall hunters, um, particularly those that are traveling. That it's you no, know, it, they're not a swimming pool or a bathtub where we just turn the spigot on and it fills up. There's a lot that goes in there, and that's kind of one thing I always try to encourage hunters to go out outside of the duck season and, and talk to the wetland managers to see what goes into setting their season from maintaining infrastructures, manipulating habitats, plantings, and then how the, what their water regime is and what's their ability to put water on and off. And, and so it's, it's you know, again, kind of a tough one to relate and, and to, but some know the system, some, some are are expecting just to turn the pump on and show up. Mark, I saw you vigorously shaking your head. 
I, uh, I know you have some experience with this. You know, you, you guys in your state waterfowl biologist position, Mark, I know you're not in that position now, but you served, served in it for a number of years. I have great admiration for you. Uh, you. You know, you're a critical link between our hunters and the management that occurs on the wetlands that they benefit from and that they, they depend on, many people depend upon for their hunting opportunities. Yet it is, it's a, sometimes a very difficult thing to communicate, but uh, you care to extrapolate on your view of of that challenge of getting people sometimes to understand that there are some things beyond our control and that it, it behooves us if we, you know, try to work within the, the environmental system that the ducks and hunters are depending on? Yeah, Mike, it, I, it, and it is kind of a tough one because obviously these individuals are, you know, they have... They've purchased licenses, stamps, and and everything to you know that they want to go waterfowl hunting. This is their passion. They want to go, and when they know that we have pumps that we can turn on, you know, why aren't you turning them on? And you know, um, let's let's get it out there. And it's it's difficult to explain to them that, and and we do that, or Game of Parks has done that, in, in this year included, and and even last year. Um, we were pretty dry last year as well, and and you provide a few places that individuals can go, and and you you do want to do that. A little bit of the frustration comes in is is you know you're not pumping more or doing something else, and I don't think, and and it's a matter of trying to you know inform them a little bit that you know to really have and to benefit them even more you have to have a landscape that's got a lot of water on it that attracts a lot of ducks and you know they don't have the benefit you know i I recall going out one year uh before till season in an airplane we were doing kind of some preseason assessment of water conditions in the basins and when you get up in the airplane and and you get up in a wet year and you see the reflection of water off the landscape and then you get up and fly when it isn't very wet and you see maybe one area, one little pond, one little speck out there on the landscape, it gives you a little perspective about what a duck may be seeing. And with that little speck out there, there's not many that are going to stop. And and I don't think they, it, it, I don't know if they grasp this landscape that you need in terms of water out there. And I think too, to some extent, um, and I think this, it, it isn't just, during these years, but I think hunting pressure too, it's a difficult one to assess. And I don't know if how good actually managers understand hunting pressure. Um, and if we don't understand it very well, I don't think our hunters do as well. And I think when you, again, when we pump these areas, there's a lot of people that go there and they're the only places that they can go. Um, the ducks learn pretty quickly that they need to be somewhere else. Um, even they, they change their behaviors where, We've started seeing nocturnal feeding in the rainwater basin, you know, in fall migration, which, you know, I thought that was pretty much confined to wintering areas, but it happens here. So it, it's kind of tough to kind of convey that, that you're living on the, you're living in the Great Plains, folks, and you need to be flexible and you need to take advantage of a whole bunch of different habitat types, um, you know, to really 
to really have a successful duck season. Guys, we have a few more questions to ask before we uh, before we get through all this. So we'll take a break right here, and then we'll come back and and close out with uh, with a bit more conversation about I guess uh, migration status of things. Tom's talked about it a little bit, but I want to ask Mark about it, and then also uh, talk a bit more about what the weather may be coming in and and how that might change things for you. Hang with us, guys. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome back. We have with us here Dr. Mark Bratiska and Tom Bedrowski. We're talking about uh, habitat conditions and migration status in Nebraska and Kansas. Mark, I want to go back to you and kind of get you to talk about sort of the status of the migration in your state. What have you seen sort of early on? Uh, any reports on hunting success or anything of that nature? Have you been able to get out? Can of tell us about that in terms of what's happening with migration and hunting in your state? Yeah, actually, this fall is very similar to last in that we've had some fairly warm temperatures through, you know, up until this point and, uh, you know, above above average kind of temperatures. And we have, I think this last week, we've seen a little bit of a push of birds. Um, like I think Tom had talked about, you know, it was um, moonlit night and we got a little bit of a, a cold front through here and it pushed a few birds through and and really, in terms of hunting success, Mike, I think it hasn't been. Um, again, hopefully, you, you get a chance to get me on a less gloomy uh, year, but uh, it, I don't think it's been fantastic for by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I know, guys, if you if if anybody's been able to get in the sand hills, they probably had fairly decent success um, in the sand hills. Um, again, kind of the the lack of water is going to kind of push birds where there is water and that's going to be the sand hills. But that's, again, some of those areas are, it's just limited um, access on some of those areas to get in there and, and get some um, good duck hunting. But um, I haven't been out as much as I'd like to have. And, and again, with the, the drought conditions, it's just been, it's just been a tough go for a, a lot of places across the state. And, and that goes all the way back in the, the teal season. So, and I know we're going to get into what's going to happen here, um, here pretty quick. I don't want to get into that, but it's going to be a down year for harvest in Nebraska for ducks. Before we do that, the one thing that I wanted to touch on is kind of the, the other thing that's contributing. And I, you mentioned this at the very outset when you said it's been sort of a warm fall thus far. That's the same type of story that we heard from Scott Stevens the other day and that we've heard from other people. And I'm just kind of curious that I know you maintain sort of a, a network of friends and colleagues up throughout the flyway. Have you talked to any of them, other people that have kind of given you a sense of just kind of how warm it is and maybe how delayed the migration is? It's a, sort of setting up to be almost a perfect storm of bad conditions for folks in your state because it's been been slow migration thus far this fall because of the warm weather. And then now all of a sudden we've got this massive and it's dry in your state. And now we have this massive uh, cold front that's coming through that's going to drop 
temperatures and really move birds in big fashion. Is that kind of the story that you're hearing from up to flyway? I think for the most part, except, you know, I think probably, uh, and, and I'll, Rocco probably in South Dakota, Rocco Morano, our, you know, Tom's counterpart in South Dakota, um, has probably had a pretty good duck season. Um, I know there, there's been probably a lot of birds in the Dakotas and South Dakota, you know, and they benefited some, from some rain in the Dakotas in production. And I think a little bit of the, the fronts and so forth have probably benefited those areas. And uh, they probably had a fairly decent season, I would guess, up there. It, I haven't talked to people up in Canada, but, you know, just some of the reports. And, and what I would guess is that, that they've been hanging on to a lot of birds. And I have not. I know we had a push of white fronts here again about last weekend. I actually saw a flock of white fronts migrating, um, but it's been the only flock I've seen. And which tells me if I haven't seen a lot of white fronts moving, then they're still further north, which probably means they're up in Canada yet. And so it's just been, again, a very, well, we haven't seen much of a push until last week. And even that one was a little bit minor. Mike, I, I couldn't, this year, and even last year to some extent, this year in particular, though, I, I couldn't come up with a worse recipe for duck harvest in Nebraska than what we got this year. Yeah, I know there's there's a lot of white fronts that have already made their way all uh, down to Arkansas. I know Scott Stevens was telling me just this morning that he's seeing trumpeter swans fly over his house in Winnipeg, and he says when you see trumpeter swans flying south, that's marking the end of the duck season, the the tail end of the migration. So I don't know how many white fronts are even left in Canada at, at this point. Yeah, and I know they move, and, and again, just kind of where I'm at and how much I've been able to get out isn't a really good indication of that. But typically, you, you can go outside at one point or out in the middle of the night or something, and you hear white fronts moving, and I just haven't experienced that this year. And and when you know, when, when you do hear that, you know that birds have been on the move, and I just, in, in, in some form or fashion, and I just really haven't seen it here this year. And it's, again, I, I know birds have already moved, but to me, it's just one of those personal indexes of where the progression of migration is. Mark, let's do go on and get into the sort of the the weather that you're experiencing right now. And then what does the forecast look like over the next seven days? And what are you expecting in terms of, you know, how, how it's going to lock things up and when that happens, what does it take to, to thaw things? And the other thing that's working against y'all here is I don't think you're forecast to get much snow or precipitation or anything out of this storm, are you? So kind of talk about that, what you're expecting. You know, if I could have had a longer forecast when you were talking about doing this podcast, I would have not had it for today. Uh, <laughs> I would have been out in the marsh right now today because I know birds are probably pushing. Yeah, I'm sure birds are on the move right now, and they're definitely going to be on the move tomorrow as temperatures kind of plummet here. And uh, we're going to have, I think, tomorrow morning probably temperatures here kind of in the east, eastern part of the state, maybe in the 20s. And as you go west, it's going to be in the teens which, again, any of the kind of shallow habitats, if they do have water, boy, they're going to lock up um, for sure. And I don't think it's going to get really warm. And I'm guessing by Sunday, those temperatures aren't going to get a whole lot warmer, maybe 30s and 40s. And it's still going to plunge down into the teens for the next few days. I'm guessing a lot of water is going to start locking up. Um, Now, some of the bigger reservoirs and stuff will still stay way open, but um, and the river systems will as well. But Kind of your our shallow habitats will be they're going to be done probably by Saturday morning. 
Mark, you make me feel bad by knowing that you're in the office. <laughs> you're in the if, office. If, if, you, if you knew the forecast and didn't tell me before this, then I'm going to be mad. If you had that kind of crystal ball, you probably wouldn't be sitting in that chair. You'd be somewhere else. But um, again, you, you, the recipe for this season, you, you just know it. And I'll speak for Tom on this. We're both kind of that mid-latitude states. And when you know you get this kind of front, you know that you're changing over your duck season for a lot of a lot of the state. It's going to be done, and you got to be out there. You got to take advantage of these days, and and they're going to be the best days of the whole season potentially. And and it's just yeah, you, you and that's one of the things about being trying to be flexible with duck hunting here in in the mid latitude is you know if you can get days off during the week and and when this pushes on, you got to take advantage of it. Tom, I want to go to you and I offer you an opportunity to kind of talk about the same type of things that you expect. You're south of Nebraska, so I don't know what kind of difference in temperatures you're going to see. It's not going to be a huge difference, I don't think. But um, yeah, speak about what you're expecting and uh, what hunters in your state can expect here over the next week. Yeah, maybe a little bit start of a recap mentioning that you no, know, we're mid-season for part of our, our some of our zones and there's not only a poor season, but kind of no season for, for a lot of our uh, waterfall hunting areas uh but no we just started about a week ago for in our southeast zone and for about a week now i've been getting pretty good calls of people seeing new new birds coming into the area um cranes are moving through right now um i guess one advantage with the position i have is you know we do have that network from canada to to mexico and we always play who has the birds and uh from some of the colleagues I've have in Canada and, and North Dakota right now, they're 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 looking like they're done, and any birds they have are, are coming marks and in, in my way, and so we, we have a good push coming on right now. And this, but again, this is normally when we see that big push. Uh, being a little bit further south of Nebraska, not that um, you know, for us a, a freeze up is you know a long freeze up is seven days. Most of our freeze ups are three or four days, and weather temperatures are going to turn enough to start opening some of those ponds. So. You know, we, we kind of get that remixture of the birds quite frequently from Thanksgiving all the way through January, kind of a, a reshuffle of them on the landscape where they move from field feeding to large reservoirs back to the small reservoirs as they thaw back out. And um, One thing I do particularly get seem to be birds, how they respond to these hunting pressure. Um, Kansas has been a little bit of a destination state last uh, five years, 10 years. And that hunting pressure is kind of uh, is remaining high, you know, and but it quickly turns those new arriving birds into older stale birds. Um, and so with this given year, you know, with hunting pressure and scouting will remain key. But even then, it's going to be difficult to pattern these birds with with such limited habitat. Um, but we have a lot of season left. You no, know, we said we're only a week into our southeast zone that runs all the way with oh, no into the end of January 31st. So. A lot of it is going to be what happens, you know, what kind of freeze-thaw cycles we have during December and January. Our, again, would expect our harvest to be way down, particularly years where we have a lot of bluings in the state is those years we have our high harvest. Our mallard harvest is relatively stable for the most part, um, a few fluctuations here and there. So, Well, the one good thing that, that I'm pretty sure all of us have heard some reports of is that there's more juveniles in the bag this year from people up to flyway. So um, the people that do have an opportunity to get out and find places to hunt here over the remainder of the season, hopefully they will benefit from that additional production that we've had this year of, of, 
up north. And so one of the good things, and I know we all expected that and sounds like it, it, it is in fact bearing out and, you know, y'all still have a fair bit of season to go and things can change in a hurry. It's definitely one of the more interesting years in terms of what conditions are like across the, the broader landscape of both the Mississippi and Central Flyways that, that I can remember because, because of how widespread the drought is, how low the Mississippi River is. Um, it's, there's just not a lot of places for the birds to go, at least in terms of naturally flooded habitats um, across big swaths of the Mississippi and Central Flyway. So this is one of those years where as a waterfowl uh, biologist, uh, waterfowl ecologist, it's like, man, I r- wish we had a accurate picture of where these birds are moving throughout the the season. And um, we we don't have that. We can tell a good story based on what we understand of their ecology, but uh, there's always a lot of uncertainty in exactly how it's all playing out. But um, but anyway, best of luck to the rest of you, to, to you all and, and your hunters in the state here for the rest of the year and the hunting season. I did want to close here by giving each of you an opportunity to talk about any other thing that you might want to communicate uh, with your hunters about, whether it be any ongoing uh, conservation projects. Uh, ta- uh, Mark, I know that you're not kind of on that side of things anymore, but um, but I'll just nevertheless give you an opportunity to talk about that here in a second. But Tom, with you, your agency, any kind of highlights of work that y'all are doing or other important messages that you want to get out there to your hunters? Sure. So, you know, there is some side benefits of, of being in a drought. Um, you know, it's definitely impacting the ducks and duck hunters this season, but it does uh, help for some of the maybe future benefits, both for the duck and duck hunter. You know, part of the cycle of wetlands is to be dry, um, not only seasonally, but some of these longer durations. You know, management-wise, it, it, it allows them to get in there and work on some infrastructures and address invasive plants, you know, lets the soils, soils reconsolidate. Uh, one example here, we had a large a partnership with Ducks Unlimited to do some restoration and um, on Cheyenne Bottoms to re- work on some infrastructure and, again, address some of those invasive plants that are coming up. So there's a number of places of our wetlands, uh, McPherson, Neosho, Meridazine, Jamestown. So there's a lot of work that's been going on during while you know, the hunter or managers are able to get into those, those marshes while they're dry. Um, you know, ducks do have some flexibility where they go, particularly during migration period. Um, if conditions continue, I'm definitely going to be a lot more worried as some of these impacts, what they could do for spring migration and what that means for birds going back north to those breeding grounds. And, uh, and you know, again, got to hope those breeding grounds have water on them as well. Yeah, for sure. And Mark, anything from your from your chair where you are now? Um, again, I think, Tom, the, the, the one thing from my chair here is uh, Tom and I are, are going to begin a study here again next ne- a year from now. Um, down in southeast Kansas, looking at mallard um, wintering ecology, and and I'm looking forward to that study and kind of seeing how mallards move around on the landscape down there in southeast Kansas. And for here again in Nebraska, it's one of those years where you get reminded that you need to be flexible. You need to have you know kind of the plan B about what you're going to do for for duck hunting this year, and um, it, it kind of gets you rattled out of your maybe your routine of where you used to go and where you're always going to go and maybe start looking a little bit other places and again just to reiterate what tom said you know drought's kind of a natural thing and and it does help in some ways of of allowing you to uh, regenerate these marshes and, and get some work done in them as well so that's that's about all i have really Mark, Tom, I really appreciate y'all taking time this afternoon to to be with us, to share 
uh, perspective on how things have unfolded thus far in your states and and what you're kind of expecting here over the next uh, next week or so. And we'll just kind of all keep an eye on things as we go through the rest of the winter and hope things improve. And then, of course, as Tom said, all, all, it's not too early to, to also be thinking about how things are going to shape up for that spring migration. So we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. But thank you, guys. It's great to have you on. And I promise we'll have you on again in the future whenever you have more exciting information to, to share. Maybe maybe we'll have you on to talk about that research on mallard ecology in southeastern Kansas. I think that'd be a great topic. Yeah, I, I think it would be. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us today. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Mark Bratisco with University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Tom Bedrowski with the Kansas Wildlife and Parks Department. We greatly appreciate their time and expertise input on, on kind of how things are unfolding in their states. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who does a great job editing these podcasts and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.